invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36, as we continue our life-changing look at Jesus. Rick, based on those songs we're singing, it's almost like we're studying the end times and <laughs> the day of the Lord's coming. It's a good thing he knows what he's doing. Well, Jesus has, in fact, teaching us lately about the end of this present age. As I've said repeatedly now, the New Testament teaches throughout the New Testament, really, that we are living in the last days, the last days of this present age. The last days began when Christ ascended there in uh, Acts chapter 1. And they will end, these last days will end at his second coming, also known as the parousia or the day of the Lord. And here in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, roughly 72 hours before he's dead and buried, he prepares us, he preps us to live during the last days. Now, up to this point in Matthew 24, which we've been studying for a few weeks now, he's, he's told us what these last days are like, what characterize the last days. And this morning, he's going to get very, very practical. This morning, he's going to tell us what living in the last days requires of us, his followers, his followers who now find themselves waiting for these days to be over, waiting for his return. In these two chapters, Matthews 24 and 25, Jesus isn't simply telling us about some far off event that's going to happen someday in the future, and we don't really need to worry about it because. It doesn't really affect us right now, here and now. If that was the way we read this text, that would be a major mistake. As a matter of fact, that would lead us to be derelict in our following after Jesus. Matthews chapter 24 and 25, they are to be instrumental in how we live our lives today as followers of Jesus. Now, I emphasize this because there is an entire strain of Christianity that's existed for the last 100, 150 years that says that much of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 does not apply to us. That it doesn't apply to the church. That the church doesn't need to concern themselves about these things because the church won't be around for these things. And no wonder the church largely in America has lost sight of the fact that we live in the last days. And rather than living with last days, wartime, spiritual wartime mentality, we instead find ourselves being lulled asleep, falling into the trends of culture the world, rather than shining 
amidst this dark, ever-darkening landscape. As we'll see repeatedly this morning, Jesus tells us that his future return and that the future end of this age should deeply impact how you live your life today. The end of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25 are about how that day in the future changes how you spend this day in the present. What Jesus tells us in these chapters is not about what believers in the future will need to do then, but what we need to do now. Which brings us to our first point. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I have no idea how this morning is going to go. Meaning, when I woke up this morning, I was planning on finishing all of Matthew chapter 25. As I was prepping and reminding myself and praying through what we're going through today, I thought to myself, unless the Lord stops time, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I don't know where we're going to end. And rather than rushing, I'm just going to slow down and let the Holy Spirit work. Point number one, stay awake. And no, I'm not talking about just while I preach. <laughs> stay awake. Verse 36, but concerning that day, what day? The day that Christ returns, the day that the trumpet sounds, the day that we'll see him in the air, the day that the angels will go and collect the elect all over the earth, the day that Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats, the day that heaven will begin as will hell. The day that this present age ends and the age to come begins. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. You need to remember way back in Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answers them now and says, no one knows when that day will happen. Jesus doesn't know. He says here, the angels don't know. Only God the Father knows. No one knows the day or the hour Jesus will return. Quite the opposite is true. People are so ignorant as to when the day of the Lord will happen that it will come as a huge surprise when it happens, especially to unbelievers. We see that now in verses 37 through 41. Look at verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, 
they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. You see, we read that and we, we have to come to some sort of conclusion that life will at least be somewhat normal when Jesus returns. People will be unaware that he's coming back. Women will be working, carrying out their normal responsibilities. Men will be working, carrying out their normal responsibilities. People will be eating and drinking, living their lives as usual. Young people will be making plans for the future, getting married, making arrangements to have a normal life. Then, bam! Everything changes in the blink of an eye. The trumpet sounds, the sun descends, and believers and unbelievers are separated in an instance. The one will be left and the other will be taken. I should tell you, the scholars don't agree as to who will be left and who will be taken. Meaning, is it the unbeliever taken away to judgment? Or is it the believer taken away to meet Jesus in the air? All I say, the only reason I say that is to bring it to your attention. Regardless, it will be sudden and it will be shocking. One instant, you're making bread with your mom, the next moment, she's gone. Things are changed forever. The present age will end. Therefore, Jesus says in verse 42, therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake. Do not be lulled to sleep by the devil's lie that this life and this world is all there is. So live it up. This life is but a vapor. A snap of the fingers compared to the un ending vastness of the eternal age to come. We're going to read it tomorrow and abide. 2 Peter chapter 3. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. Listen, this temporary, momentary life is nothing to be compared to what awaits us for this time known as eternity. This short life, though you may think 
It is all about eating and drinking and having a good time on Friday night and getting married and raising a kids, kids and making sure they go to college and have a good life and passing on your name, accumulating, enjoying. Church, that is not what it's all about. This life is about preparing for the next with the utmost seriousness. Preparing yourself, preparing your spouse, preparing your kids, preparing your distant family, your neighbors, the nations for the return of Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom. Stay awake. Do not be lulled. Do not fall asleep by the pleasures of this life, by the deceitfulness of riches that come in and choke your faith, by the coma of comfort, by the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. These are the short-term, the short-sighted goals of the kingdoms of this world, not the commission from our king, the law by which our kingdom operates this side of his return. Stay awake. Stay sharp. Be alert, always ready, not drunken by the pleasures of this world. Constantly watching, rightly interpreting, listen to me now, rightly interpreting the events of this world. And I don't mean read the newspaper in one hand and try to figure out if revelation is happening in this hand. Read interpret the events of this world properly. What do I mean by that when I say? Listen, the comfortable days, the easy days, they shout to us, not that the Lord is delaying and that we can take it easy. No, they shout to us of the certainty of the unawareness that we will have when he comes. We will be tempted on the easy days to take the foot off the gas, to put it in neutral, to our minds, to allow our minds to slip into the state of being unaware. But instead, these easy days, these comfortable days that we enjoy, they should put us on the alert of the second coming, the sudden second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because no one knows the day or the hour. And the hard, the painful days, the ones we know all too well, they are to sober us, not rattle us. They sober us to the reality that this world is fallen and in, on a trajectory to be burned up. The consequences of sin, the certainty of the 
judgment of this world is what the hard days remind us of as they remind us believers, God's children. They remind us of his soon return. The day that he will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more hard days. Church, stay awake. Stay awake on the good days and stay awake on the bad days. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Are you awake? Are you alert? How sharp and ready should we stay looking for this King Jesus? He's going to tell us. But let me tell you one of the things that attracted to my wife, me to my wife way back when. We were in high school. And any time she'd hear a trumpet play, whether it be on the church's stage because we had trumpet players. Our worship leader was a, a trumpet player, oddly enough. Whether it was a high school band. Every time she heard a trumpet, she looked up. In honest expectation, are you alert? How alert are we? How alert should we stay? Look at verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not left his house and would not have let his house be broken into therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect look if you know your house is about to be burglarized broken into invaded infiltrated by dangerous people you don't tuck your kids in bed Drink a bottle of wine, count sheep, and fall asleep. You bolt the door. You lock the windows. You set the alarm. You ready your weapons. You instruct your family. You call for help. You wait carefully on full alert. how does that translate to you, to me, to us, waiting on full alert? Does this mean we buy bigger locks as Christians? Stockpile food for the hard days ahead? Buy more guns? Build a bunker in the back? Look, if you want to do that, go right ahead. I'm not here to tell you not to. I like guns. But that's not at all with staying alert and being ready for the second coming of Christ is about. That's something people do because it's a hobby or because they have a hard time trusting in the Lord. What does it mean to stay alert how do, we, how do we ready ourselves as the church, as God's people, waiting for the king to come back? Well, Jesus is actually going to spend the rest of chapter 24, the rest of chapter 25, telling us how to do that. But I want to jump ahead, and I want us to go back 
to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. That's where we, well, I think we spent some time there. We did spend some time there last Sunday. I want to show you this. What does it look like for us to be on the alert, to live ready, to live watching, to stay awake? You guys, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but you'll remember in chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul talks to us about the second coming and about us going to meet Jesus in the air. The dead in Christ shall be, rise, shall be raised first, and we together with them will go and meet Jesus and will be with him forever. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I wonder where Paul got that. Matthew 24. Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Unexpectedly. So what do we do? Verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security... In other words, while life is normal, while ladies are grinding flour at the mill, while men are growing the flour in the field, while people are eating and drinking and marrying and making plans for the future, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. That's something I've never experienced, but I hear it's not fun when a woman's going throughout her day and all of a sudden, bam, that's what it'll be like. They will not escape, verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. That's because you should stay awake. Verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep. Do you know what that means? It means stay awake. Let us not fall asleep. What does it mean to fall asleep? Does it mean to literally fall asleep? Does that mean we should try to live, staying awake 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Not at all. It means be aware of what's going on in this world. And even though everything looks to be normal, you know that Jesus is coming back. Do not fall asleep to that truth, as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. Again, church, this idea of the world intoxicating us into not living with the reality that we live in the last days and that Christ will soon return. We need to be sober, Paul says. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. All right. Paul's saying... Because we're not lulled to sleep like the world, because we're awake and sober, do we gear up? Do we arm ourselves? He says, absolutely, but not with guns, not with a storehouse full of food, but with faith 
and love and hope. Faith, hope, and love. What are we busy doing? Growing our faith. Growing to be rock solid on our faith. Growing out of infancy, baby Christians like the Corinthians were struggling with. Becoming meat eaters of the faith. Growing rock solid. Meanwhile, as we grow in our faith, we're exposed to the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. And as our faith in him grows and our confidence in his love never leaving us or forsaking us, we begin to exude and shine forth that same love. Love for him, love for the brotherhood, especially the church, but love also for our neighbor and our enemies. That is supernatural. When we believe in what is unseen, and it causes us to love like Jesus. That's what we do here and now. And as we do this, our hope, our confidence in the day of the Lord and his salvation becomes more and more confident. Faith, hope, and love. Against such things there is no law. We're going to talk more about this as we go on, I hope. It's 9.15. We got time. Paul goes on. Verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. We're not going to be the ones that get separated and chopped up and thrown into hell. God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we're awake or asleep, dead or alive, is what that means, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The picture is the church, one gigantic team, knowing that we're in a push to the end, knowing that steadfastness and perseverance is utterly crucial, especially as the world continues to hate Jesus more and more, sheds more and more doubt and persecution on the church and Christians in general. They throw you in prison. They make fun of you at the store. In some countries, they kill you. He knows that's happening, but that doesn't matter. We arm ourselves not with bullets, faith, hope, and love. And we encourage each other as we continue to spread the gospel around the globe, just as Jesus promised in Matthew 24, and the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to all the nations. That's the battle plan. So encourage each other. And we know we're going to succeed because Jesus raised from the dead. Verse 12. He keeps going. How do we live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back? How do we live alert? How do we live sober? Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So there's that. Be at peace among yourselves. 
We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. That's the undisciplined. Admonish the people that aren't living awake. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everyone. Church, this is supernatural. How do you know you've passed from the day to the night? I'm sorry, from the night to the day, from the darkness to the light. How do you know you've been born again? You start to live like Jesus. You make peace with everybody. You encourage everybody. You're patient with everybody. And the big one is when people do bad things to you, you don't pay them back. You don't make them pay. You don't make your wife pay. You don't make your husband pay. You don't make the neighbor pay. You don't make the person on the phone that fouled things up pay. You don't repay evil for evil, but good. Not just to Christians, but to everyone. That's supernatural. You know what happens then? Your light shines. It's like you're a lamp with oil in it. That's a prelude to chapter 25. Verse 16, no matter how bad it gets, we rejoice always. We pray without ceasing. Listen, we're sending text up to God all the time. Do you text him as much as you text everybody else? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. What's that mean? May he change you totally. May you, may you take that person that was walking in the darkness and so come in and infiltrate your life that you are, some, you are sanctified completely. You are completely changed. You go from the guy, the gal you were, to the guy he's describing. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. And we're awake to that fact. And we live in light of that fact. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body body, in other words, everything that you are. May all that you are be kept blameless till when? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, this is how we live. We stay awake. And as we live this awake, sober life, we are pursuing the things of God and his Holy Spirit is supernaturally causing them to come forth in our life as we abide in Christ. Remember, he's the vine, we're the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But as we abide in him, as we connect to him, as we live in him and move and have our being, oh, the fruit that he produces is otherworldly. We shine. 
we stay awake. That's point number one. Point number two, we have some time left. Point number two, stay faithful and wise. Stay faithful and wise. This comes from a parable, verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the first parable Jesus tells us to stay awake and be ready. This one calls us to be faithful and wise as we wait for his return. In this parable, the master leaves his beloved family in the care of one of his servants. In the first example, the servant is faithful and wise. In the second example, he's wicked. The first example cares for the master's family. The second example, he knows his master is gone and will be gone for a long time. So instead of taking care of those entrusted to him, the servant neglects his responsibilities, he beats his fellow servants, and he wastes his time away eating and drinking, socializing with drunkards, who I think represent unbelievers. In other words, it's a picture of neglecting the family of God. In fact, he... He neglects them so much that it leads to people in the family of God suffering rather than being blessed. And instead of fulfilling his responsibilities as a servant to his master, he spends his time chasing after the joys of this world. Eating and drinking and pursuing a good time. Doing his own thing. But the master knows so when he returns, he honors the faithful and wise servant and he cuts the unfaithful, the unwise servant into pieces and condemns him to hell. How are you spending your time waiting on your master to return? This parable calls us to be devoted, steadfast, faithful, wise servants, faithfully carrying out the task, the responsibilities given to us by the master. Is that how you're spending your days? Or are you spending them on something else? Because this text tells us that one's going to be honored in heaven. The other will be cut into pieces and find himself in hell. Which are you? Are you the faithful wise servant?
because option B doesn't sound too good. Jesus, 72 hours approximately before he's dead, crucified on a cross and buried, speaks to us with a level of seriousness that we must take note of. Which leads us to a final point. We'll go one more. In my outline, I have it as stay prepared, right? What were the other ones? Stay awake, stay faithful and wise, stay prepared. You can write stay prepared if you want. Let me tell you what's better. It's not two words and it doesn't start with stay. Church, you can't settle for cheap imitations of Christianity. You can't settle for knockoff Christianity that allows you to look like and be like a Christian on the outside, play the game, but refuses to be transformed like 1 Thessalonians 5, soul, spirit, body. Knockoffs lets you play games on the outside the real deal transforms you from the inside out. That's the point of the next parable. Verse 1 of Matthew 25. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the vir other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Like the last parable, there are two very distinct groups of people, the wise and the foolish. What separates those two groups of people are what they do while they wait for the bridegroom to come back. At this time in Judaism, a bride would have had maidens. Typically, they were unmarried women, younger gals. And so they were commonly referred to as virgins. Well, the bride and the groom, they would often be married and they would go through ceremonies at 
the bride's house, or the father of the bride. After that, there would be a wedding procession through the streets that would often take the entire wedding party to the groom's house, or his father's house. And that's where all of the feasting and the partying would take place, and it would often last for days. This was a common wedding, occurrence for weddings during the time of Christ, and so now he uses this as a parable to teach us about how we should wait for his return. In this parable, the bride and her maidens, they were gathered for the big day, but for some reason, the groom is delayed. He takes a long time, and nobody knows when he's going to show up. He didn't show up to midnight, but that's okay because evidently the wedding procession was planned to take place after dark. That's why everybody had their lamps. They all have lamps, but they did not all have oil for their lamps. So some were prepared for the bridegroom to show up, others were not, which means those who were not prepared, they missed the procession. It also means that they didn't make it into the party before the doors were locked. So later that night, when they come knocking on the groom's door saying, Lord, Lord, open up, he answered, I do not know you. Which is an eerie parallel to Matthew 7, 22 23, on that day, what day? The day of the Lord. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, the wise maidens in the parable, they were prepared for the delay. The foolish, the foolish here are very interesting because they're not totally unprepared, but they are still unprepared nonetheless. You see, the foolish, you got to listen close, the foolish they look and they act the part of the people who are truly prepared. They're maidens. They're wearing their Sunday best. They're waiting on the bridegroom. So were the people who knew he would return. And they all have lamps, but no oil. You see, they represent men and women who profess to know Jesus, the bridegroom, but they don't. They act like they do. They look like they do. They hang out with the people who do. But they're all show. It's all about outward appearance. There's no substance. 
despite their outward appearance that made them appear ready. They never made the proper preparations inwardly. They were lamps with no oil, meaning they are without Christ. They gave lip service to him and they denied him by the way they waited for him. They did not live up to their calling. In other words, there's no 1 Thessalonians 5 going on in the inward workings of their life that express themselves when the time comes as shining bright like lamps. Now I need to be careful here because it sounds a lot like law. Like I'm telling you the gospel of law, that you need to fulfill the law, that you need to obey the law in order to be saved. That is not at all what Jesus or I am saying here. But the truth is, people who are saved work. Just like lamps with oil work. can't shine forth Jesus if there's no Jesus in you. You see, somewhere along the line, they had bought the lie that it's okay to settle for looking like a Christian, but never being one. And I think this might go hand in hand with what is going on, Jesus promised would happen in Matthew 24 with the false prophets and the false gospels that Jesus said would mark the days, the last days. The false prophets, they preach false gospels which lead to false converts. Lamps with no oil. Now I'm telling you, it's easy for us to see a lot of the far-off false gospels. I mean, this health, wealth, and prosperity thing, all you need to do is read your Bible. And you know that what Jesus promises in the New Testament is not riches, not health, not wealth, but suffering. In this world, you will have trouble. Nobody claims that promise. In this world, you will have trouble, but uh, behold, I have overcome the world. The Philippian church, for you, it has been granted not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. Paul tells Timothy, everyone who longs or desires to live to a godly life will be persecuted. That's not health, wealth, and prosperity, people. So it's easy to pinpoint those. Oh, is it 937? I'm so sorry. It's easy to pinpoint those. What's harder to see are the Pharisees, gospels, men and women. The do more, try harder. Be more like Jesus. Obey the law. Work your way in. And if you don't believe like me, you clearly aren't in. You got to be careful of those. Say, Pastor, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know who Jesus is? How do I know what his gospel is? How do I know what his will is for my life? How do I know what a real deal is? How do I know what it looks like in my life? 
Why do you think we spend so much time looking at Jesus? We've seen how he treats the dirty leper. We've seen how he teaches, teaches or treats the untouchables. We've seen how he's reached out and loved the unclean women. We've seen how he's eaten with sinners and tax collectors. And Lord willing, you've seen yourself in all those people. And you've seen him touch you and love you and impact you and he melts you. And you don't find yourself clinging to things that are going to clean you up or make you better or make this life easier. You find yourself clinging to him. You find yourself like the guy that was healed by the, the legion of demons. Can I go tell people about you? He changes us. He doesn't lock us down. He frees us. He frees us to love like him and enjoy life like him and enjoy ministry like him. It's gorgeous. I can't sit here and tell you how great that is in the final 30 seconds of a message. That's taking us three and a half years just to taste. But friend, when you taste it, when you taste it, and you know that he's promised that he's coming back. And we've got a job to do. You're like, let's go. Let's go. Let's kill sin. Let's shine bright. And let's proclaim the gospel to the nations and wait for him to come back. And then it'll be time to party. Let's pray. Lord, oh, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that you give us. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to let goods and kindreds go. Help us to cling to Christ. Help us to abide in Christ. Not quench the spirit, but be transformed, wholly sanctified, God. Do your work. Do your work. We don't want to be cut up. We don't want to be thrown into hell. We want to enjoy and know Jesus for all of eternity. That's what it's going to take. Lord, please, make it so. Make it so for me, my family, this church, and anyone else, Lord, that hears and knows the gospel. Make it so. Amen.